All right, so Romans chapter 12. Let's see, I think Mark Bull got through uh, verse 8. So we're going to pick up in, in verse 9. And I'm making it to the end of the chapter today. Even if it takes us an hour and a half. No, don't worry. <clears throat> so we'll read starting in verse 9. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. <clears throat> Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. All right. So this section here is uh, very rich in application. Um, it's very, a very practical section. You know, we hit some sections earlier, which are, uh, get a little bit deeper into, into some theological matters. This is very much like a, you know, you need to do this, do this, um, which is is great for, for teaching us. Um, it's also, it's encouraging in that, yes, you know, this is what you got to do. It's also uh, kind of exhorting in that I need to do that better. Um, <clears throat> so with that said, um, I do want to say that in this section, the way it's written, is one of those that seems to give a lot of objectives, like do this, do this, do this, don't do this, do this. Um, and I want to make it very clear uh, that, you know, as we almost always do, it seems like this comes up a lot, is our, our faith is not at all works-based. Um, and even though we have a list here of, you know, kind of works for us to follow, um, it's not as if the better you follow these works, the more, the more holier you are. You know, this is, if you want to arrive in Christianity, do these. That's not what it's saying. It's more, I view this more as a passage um, that shows a picture of God's heart, that these are the things that he desires for us. Um, and if we love him, if we want to follow his heart, these are the things that we should be desiring to do and really um, be seeking after, uh, to seek after his heart. Um, again, these are not works, they're not attitudes that we need to do to earn God's favor. We are justified through Christ in his, in his work on the cross alone. And when God looks at us, he sees Christ you know, whether, how well we do with these is, does, not, does not reflect um, how God sees us. This passage, as I said, is for those whose heart has been changed to love God and loving God and being grateful to Him, that person would do anything possible to worship Him, to love Him, and to glorify Him. <clears throat> that being said, verse 9. Gonna just go a little sentence by sentence here. Let love be genuine. So literally, this means let love be unhypocritical. Uh, 
So as I think about that, I think, you know, this means love not just in, not just in like compliment or pretense. It's not just saying, thing, saying nice things or acting nice to others. Um, and that's really easy to do. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, that you shouldn't say nice things. But it's not just a, a surfacey love. Um, it's, it's a genuine, deep love. And I want to turn, well, you guys don't have to turn there. I'm going to read a little bit from the love passage in 2 Corinthians. Did I say 2 Corinthians? Where am I? I'm at first, I think. So what happens when I write things down when it's late. There we go. 1 Corinthians, uh, chapter 13. Just going to read a few verses here. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Um, so I think that's a good passage to think about when you think about the thought, let love be genuine. You know, all these things here of, of being patient, kind, you know, not being uh, arrogant, not env envying or boasting, um, you know, just bearing all things, believing all things, hoping all things, um, and enduring all things. That's the attitude um, and the heart attitude that we really need to have. And I think it, it is displayed in no better way than when Christ is on the cross, um, being willing to lay down his life for us. And that's, you know, right in reference to John fifteen thirteen, the verse where, you know, no greater love than this than to lay down your life for a friend. And I think, you know, how you don't get more genuine than that of like, you know, you cut through all this stuff of like, oh yeah, like I can say something nice to somebody because it really doesn't cost me anything. And hey, maybe then they'll do something nice for me, right? No, that's, that's the pretense thing. But when you're willing to lay down your life for somebody, that's a, wow, like you mean it and you don't, you're not asking for something in return because you're not there anymore. Um, and so just thinking about it is like, how do I view my friendships, and, you know, especially with fellow believers? Do I love so genuinely that I, that I think no ill of any of these people? I patiently endure. I'm ever ready to lay down my life, literally or metaphorically, just sacrifice for my, you know, myself for people. Um, and that, you know, as I, as I think about that, I, I very clearly need to work on it. All right, we made it through one sentence. Good work, everyone. Next part, abhor what is evil. Um, and I thought this was really interesting as I think about it. Just, I, like, I'm thinking, I was thinking about Christ flipping the tables in the temple or, or God destroying the world with the flood. Um, it is how true goodness cannot stand evil. Um, and thinking about it like, as far as myself, um, like, does it make me angry to see injustice? It should. Like when I see something that is clearly um, that is clearly wrong, that is evil, that should make me upset. That should make me angry. Now we shouldn't sin in our anger, <clears throat> but sin and wickedness ought to be something that we hate. And then, and wherever it is, whether it be, you know, something that we see, or if it's inside of us, um, and I think I've shared this story before, but I always think of uh, the story of Phineas when the plague was bursting out in the camp of the Israelites because I think it was 
I don't know, I'll say the Midianites, but I could be wrong, that one of the, one of the uh, captains of Israel had actually brought in one of the daughters of, of one of the foreigners and you know, came right into the tent, like brought her right in, into the camp and brought her right into his tent and God started just breaking out into like a plague. And Phineas, um, Aaron's grandson, grabbed a spear, ran through the camp, burst into the tent and stabbed it right through both of them. And God's wrath was abated. Um, and, you know, and, and afterwards God said to Moses, like, see the zeal that Phineas has for me? And so I always think of that as like, that should be our attitude towards evil. The zeal to get rid of it, both, like I said, in ourselves and around us, is we should have a hatred for it, a zeal to purge it. Now, thinking of, of this in our culture, that's a really unpopular, those are unpopular words to say. It's very popular to say, you know, I hear people say that, oh, I hate hate. And like, okay, so first of all, that's a head scratcher right there. That doesn't make any sense because you are doing the thing that you're saying that you're hating. So that's very hypocritical in a sense. In a, in a sense. Um, but it's also profoundly wrong because there are things that ought to be hated. Um, you know, it's like if somebody says that to me, I'm like, oh, like you don't, you don't hate pedophi- like pedophiles or like not even the pedophile himself. Like you don't hate people that do that. You don't hate rape. You know, and they're like, well, that's not what I meant. Like, then don't say stupid things. You know, that there are things that God hates. Let me just hit one little passage here. Proverbs 6, verses six through, or 16 through 19. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, (coughs) a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. I'm going to go over those again real quick here. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. God hates those things. You know, we ought to hate them as well. As, verse, as back in Romans, abhor what is evil. Like, we need to passionately, zealously hate the things that God hates. Now, the next section, though, the next little verse, hold fast to what is good. Uh, I thought this was a really good point. One of the commentaries I, I was reading pointed out, it's often easier to either hate the evil or cling to the good. But it is exceedingly difficult to do both at the same time. Um, And yet that is what we're commanded. Hate the evil, cling to the good. Um, So while while we are are commanded and and should, you know, really just hate the evil, the things that God hates, we're also to never forget or forsake what is good. Our efforts shouldn't be just towards hating the things that are bad. It should be towards loving the things that are good. Let's see. And what's key with that is that we can know good and, and evil by knowing God through his word. Um, and so when, you, when, and as, when I think about holding fast to what is good too, this is a section, an area where I think that, that Christians ought to stand out. I mean, I think some Christians get the idea of like, oh, we'll just we'll live such a good life that people will be able to, to tell us apart, you know, and then they'll ask us, oh, why? You know, and like, and I don't think that's, that, like, I think, Christians ought to be proclaiming the gospel, gospel all the time. Um, but at the same time, as they proclaim it, they, their words ought to be backed up by, 
um, by a lifestyle of holding fast to what is good. And, and I think this is an area where all of us should, should seek to be, and I don't mean this, like I said, I don't mean this as a work, but we should seek to be honorable people. People that, that, uh, <clears throat> that really, when people, when, when people look at us as Christians, they say, you know, there's really nothing, nothing you can say against them because that, that is a man that is, that is honest, that, is, that would, uh, would do anything for anybody, that even the people who are against him, he wouldn't say a bad word about, you know, those types of things. And that is, that is rare, and that does stand out. Now, that's not to say we shouldn't just like, oh, I, I'll do that so well, that, that people recognize that, and I don't even have to proclaim the gospel. That's not, that's not what it is. You know, you, you still need to proclaim the gospel, but this, the, that lifestyle should back up the gospel. <clears throat> All right, we made it through verse 9. On to verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Let's see. And so this kind of goes right along with let love be genuine. This word for love indicates not only love, but a readiness and an inclination towards love. So it's not, it's a, it's not passiveness. It's, it's, a, it's like seeking it out. Um, and so our first instinct toward a Christian brother ought to be toward love. Um, and as I, as I think about this like readiness towards love, ah, oh, sorry. I think about an elderly married couple. You know, picture somebody that's been married for, for 50, 60 years. And sometimes, not all the time for sure, but sometimes you see that these people that have been married for 50 or 60 years are like genuinely affectionate towards each other. And that's a beautiful thing when you see after all this time that they have just become more and more affectionate toward, toward each other. And I, like, I guess I think, I think almost like that. Like they, they, this genuine affection and then just um, inclined towards serving the other one. And on the flip side of that, we've seen, at least I have, probably all of us, the, the elderly couple, that they're still married, um, they kind of just stay out of each other's way and don't really talk to each other that much. Um, and I think that's a war- it can be like a warning for us in the same picture of, of Christians that it's easy to grow callous and desensitized towards, towards our Christian brothers and sisters. And like, of course we love them, you know. We've been married to them for 50 or 60 years. I just don't talk to them anymore, you know. Um, but I think... You know, we should strive to be more like the first couple I mentioned, with a genuine fondness and readiness to love, um, in in, in uh, exhibiting all, <coughs> all the traits of of love that we talked about from First Corinthians there. And then, so continuing, outdo one another in showing honor. Uh, and as I read that, the, a couple of things that came to mind too would be that one. This shows that we need not to seek our own honor. Actually, we should not worry about it or crave it, you know, crave honor for ourselves at all because, two, we're working towards the honor of others. You know, God first, then others above ourselves. And I just wanted to hit Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 28. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
just this this same the same idea here that um, that yeah you should be putting others ahead of yourself you should be putting yourself down as a servant and what better example than Christ who came to serve the, the master of all that he put himself in the role of a servant and to give himself as a ransom for many in this in the same way we should be making ourselves least um, and if God exalts us, that is up to him later. That is not our concern. We just worry about others. We worry about honoring God and, if it, and being inclined and ready to give our life for, for our Christian brothers if we need to. All right, verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. And then I had a good verse for this. Jeremiah 48, verse 10. Cursed is he who does the work of the Lord with slackness, and cursed is he who keeps back his sword from bloodshed. That one was a little bit convicting. Um, and thinking about, you know, like the idea that he who puts his hand to the plow should not look back, and thinking about God's calling on our lives, that we were not called to be idle. You know, we were not chosen to only partially invest ourselves and invest ourselves in God's work. Um, and you know, just thinking about how easy it is to get distracted, um, that yeah, like I'm a Christian, and yeah, I, I do, I do try to you know to follow God and to read and to pray. Um, you know, am I burning with zeal to do it? Well, not very often. Um, and you know, and I think it's just so easy to get distracted with our everything else we got we have going on. But our zeal ought to be burning for the Lord. We ought to be calling on Him day and night. Uh, proclaiming his gospel at every opportunity, you know, giving our entire heart and soul to fulfill the purposes of God. And at the end of our lives, I wish it could be said of each of us, you know, like when we're looking back at like all the things that we did and saying, wow, I put a lot of effort into this and that and this. Um, and what did they get me at this point? Eh, you know, and I wish, it, I wish it could be said of each of us at that point, though, that as we depart from this world um, and we race toward, uh, hold on. Oh yeah, I wish it could be said of each of us that we held nothing back. You know, I've, I've always thought that at the end, that like, wow, I just, you know, I don't want to be on my deathbed thinking, oh man, I, I really didn't give it my all. Like, <laughs> what a time to think that. Um, and so, you know, giving it your all, but giving it all in the right direction so that as we depart from this world and we race towards, towards the Lord, what we're really racing towards is that, well done, my good and faithful servant. You were zealous for me. You raced towards me. You've, you, you gave your life to fulfilling my purposes. Well done. Um, and as far as I think about my life now, like, I don't know about you, but like, I really, like, I yearn to do better. I mean, like, I know that he forgives me my mistakes. He moves past um, my penchant for getting distracted and slothful in my zeal. Uh, but I, I really do pray that he, he lights a fire in each of us um, that burns for him and is not easily extinguished. And then a, a very, as we go on in that verse, a very similar thought, be fervent in spirit. Um, I think, when I, at least when I think of the word fervent, I think it captures just a little bit more of the persistence of it though. That when I think of somebody that's fervent, it's, it's somebody that doesn't give up. Like, like, the, like the widow that, that keeps going, like she was fervent in that, that she just kept coming and coming and coming. It's like, fine, like I'll give in because... I want to sleep. Um, 
And so just thinking about the Christian walks, you know, it, there is so much about it that's just vigilance, you know, vigilance and guarding against attacks, vigilance and just walking forward and not standing still, in praying, in reading his word, in loving one another and humbling ourselves, because if we're, not, if we're not actively doing it, we're falling away. And so there's a vigilance and constantly just seeking after him and doing these things. And then... Uh, the end of verse 11 there. Serve the Lord. And I think that goes well with the thoughts of the zeal and the fervor because it need, that zeal and fervor needs to be focused on serving the Lord. We've all met people that are zealous and, and fervent about lots of different things. Sports. Sometimes I get that way. Um, but what do they... If, if, you, if you're passionate or, or you devote yourself to anything... Um, but God, at the end of the day, you will be left empty. Um, and now that's not to say that you can't be uh, passionate or devoted to good things. You know, being a good spouse, a good parent, a good coworker, a good employer, you know, all those things. But they must be under the greater zeal of serving the Lord or else you will be left disappointed. Verse 12. Rejoice in hope. Um, and this is, is the great part of, of the Christian faith, is that the hope is that we know Christ has won and is coming back. Uh, so whether we're still here when he comes back or whether we die first, uh, we have the great joy that better days are coming, that evil has been defeated and everything will be made right. Uh, we have a hope that cannot be defeated and can't die, that <clears throat> no matter what the world may do to us, no matter what happens now, literally, it can't touch this hope because this hope is beyond it. You know, nobody can do anything to this hope. They can't, they can't kill Christ. They tried that. He came back. Um, they, can't, they can't affect God. You know, they can't change his mind about, about us. They, it's like our hope is beyond anything this world can do. And so we can rejoice in that hope, knowing that it is a rock, that it will never abandon us. And that kind of gets into the next part of this verse. Be patient in tribulation. Um, that that hope allows us to have that patience that whatever befalls us, um, be it, you know, persecution, um, but even if it's not, even if it's not like direct persecution against our, our, uh, our beliefs, even if it's illness, if it's just tragedy, um, loss, betrayal, whatever it is that we have a hope that is greater than any of these things, that we can, that, that deep down, as much as things might hurt us in this, on this earth, we know better days are coming and that this world can't touch it. Let's see. And also, in those, tri in those tribulations, I think it's important to remember uh, Romans 5, which we would have touched on, I don't know how long ago. Three years ago. No, not that long ago. Uh, Romans 5, uh, starting in verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. <clears throat> just, so just that thought there, that... Any tribulation, really, God is using it in us to make something better. And knowing with that hope that, I want to be on this page, with that hope <clears throat> that no matter what the tribulation is, better days are coming, that God is in control and He's got this. Let's see. 
And then also just the point that, that as we're going through trials, when they come, that they do not excuse us from all these other things, from love, from hope, from zeal, from showing honor, from clinging to what is good, that we are to be actively uh, patient in our tribulations, not just enduring them, but seeking God's heart through them. And the last part of verse 12, uh, constant in prayer. Got a verse there, First Thessalonians. Uh, verse or chapter five, sixteen through eighteen. Uh, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Um, that that one always gets me. That this is the will of God for you is to pray without ceasing. Rejoice always, you know, give thanks in all circumstances. And I, I always wish I could remember that a little bit better. When somebody's like, I wonder what the will of God is for me. I'm like, I know what it is. It's to rejoice always. It's to pray without ceasing. It's to give thanks in all circumstances. You do those three things and you'll be all right. You know, I don't know how they would respond to that, but I'll try to be ready next time. Um, but so thinking about, though, praying without ceasing, like that's a really hard one for me. Um, I find that I'm most constant in prayer when I want something and that my, uh, that my relationship uh, with God is often dependent on me. Um, at least on my end. Fortunately, he's much more faithful than I am. Um, but it ought to be, as, as, as I think about it, you know, it ought to be a continual back and forth, allowing him to mold and to shape me. Um, and just this ceaseless praying of me just being in his presence, seeing what he wants, you know, saying, you know, your will be done. You know, not just what I want, but this is what's going on with me. You tell me what, what you need. You shape me as you want me shaped. Uh, verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Okay, so this one was a little bit interesting. Uh, I don't know, uh, that might be the second part of it. I'll just, so, you know, our love needs to be more than just a feeling. Uh, true Christ-like love is practical and tangible. Uh, whether this, you know, this can be a lot of different forms. You know, it can be monetarily, it can be in terms of food, prayer, um, anything, whatever it is. Uh, the church should always take care of its own. You know, the church has an obligation to take care of its Christians, um, the weak in it, the poor in it, that you know, no Christian should ever be wanting when there is a church nearby. <clears throat> Let's see. And this gets right to what we've already been talking about, that each Christian ought to be ready and inclined to help in any way possible, you know, ready just to jump all over it. That should be our attitude all the time for any other Christian that could have anything going, going on with them. Um, and I had a couple, couple verses I wanted to hit with that. So James uh, chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? And then a similar verse here in 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? 
and again, this just gets into the, you know, this love is more than a feeling. It's actually tangible, you know, ready to give and, and to sacrifice for them. And so much so that as we're looking at it here, if you have a brother in need and you don't give to them, how does God's love abide in you? Because that is such a, such a part of the fabric of what God desires for us as a church is to provide for, for those in need, to, to uplift those who are oppressed, to, you know, the Lord, you know, he humbles the, the, proud, the proud, but he lifts up the humble. And as a church, that ought to be our mindset as well. When we see people down, we need to be, to be looking to pick them up. And if we're not, you know, it begs the question, how does God's love abide in that person that wouldn't do that? Uh, so then moving on to the second part of this verse, uh, seek to show hospitality. So this was, this was the, the interesting Greek part. So the word for hospitality is literally translated love for strangers. Um, and then on top of that, the word seek here is a very strong word. Actually, it's sometimes translated as persecute. Um, so the idea here is to actually you know, persecute or pursue people you know, that you don't know with love and hospitality, basically being like, all right, who can I go after, you know, to go and show them love and hospitality? Like, you know, I'm going out and I'm getting them. This isn't like a, a, a sedentary thing. Like, if somebody happens to fall into my lap, I suppose I could show them some, some kindness. You know, it's more like a looking around and being like, all right, I'm going after people. Like, I'm pursuing, I'm persecuting opportunities to show love for strangers. Um, and, you know, hospitality is a really interesting subject. I mean, it, it varies depending on who, who each person is. You know, some people are geared that way and some people are like, oh no, like not me. Um, but that, you know, God, God still commands it of all of us. Um, and again, with a lot of things like, you know, it's easy to use uh, being busy or lack of time as an excuse. But God is very clear here. Um, we are to be bent toward hospitality, not only uh, ready to feasibly show love, but actually seeking and pursuing and making opportunities to do so. And then I wanted to read a verse from Hebrews 13. Uh, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Um, and I read an interesting little commentary on that. And I was like, huh, you know, I never have thought about this. But it brought up Lot sitting at the gates. Like, in this sense, he very much fulfilled this. He was sitting at the gates in case any stranger came, knowing that he was in a bad place. And if a stranger came, he had to beat all the sodomites to that stranger to rescue them. And in that way, you know, we know that this world is an evil place. And like, we ought to be out in the town, sitting at the gates, looking for strangers so that we can, we can get to them first before, before the evil does. And, and, you know, bringing them in. And as Lot did, he uh, entertained angels. He did become aware of it. <laughs> but, but, you know, here it says that, you know, showing, do not neglect to show hospitality for thereby, you know, some of us will have entertained angels unaware. You know, can you imagine like looking back on our life, if, if God's like, you know, actually I sent you several angels and you turned them away. You know, like, like wow, what a blow that would be. And just like, you know, so just in the mindset of like, <laughs> we cannot let that happen. <clears throat> so uh, verse 14. Oh, I got to speed up a little bit. 
Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. <clears throat> so we've largely been talking up to this point about our behavior towards fellow Christians. Um, but here, God takes a little step further, makes it even harder. You know, we are to love our enemies. We are to, to hope for the good of those who seek our harm. Um, in fact, we are instructed not to curse them, but to bless them. Um, and I think this is a really good way to show Christ's love for us. And that until we were saved, we persecuted him. You know, we were alienated and hostile towards him. And yet he blessed us and loved us. This attitude of blessing and loving those who would, who would be hostile towards us shows Christ. Um, and as you think about it, really, how could we in good conscience curse anyone knowing that we ought to have been cursed ourselves, but we're shown mercy. And I will not go to the parable on that, but there is a very potent one about with the, with the man who is forgiven much and then goes out and, and gets the guy who, who owed him a little bit and like basically is like, I'll throw you in jail until you can repay me. Um, and that is not how we are to be. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Um, Again, I think so much of this comes back to that let love be genuine. Um, that we are supposed to have an, in such a, just a selfless attitude that's just not about us and putting others, in, others above ourselves. Um, that we ought to be genuinely happy for another's success and genuinely sad for another's loss. And if you feel those out of order, if you feel sadness at someone else's success or happiness at their failure, I would surmise that those feelings are based more on what you want for yourself. You know, if you're thinking, oh, like, like, oh, that other person got a promotion and I didn't, you know, like, I wish I'm sad about that. You're like, no, you should be happy that that other person got a promotion. Good for him. Don't worry about yourself. Um, and at the same time, like, ha, that other person didn't get the promotion. Ha ha. You know, you know, you shouldn't think that way. You should be sad for them, you know, thinking about him. That, oh, you know, he really, really worked hard for this. And that was, that was tough for him. But, um, Maybe not the promotion idea. one isn't the best for loss, but you get the idea. <clears throat> uh, verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Uh, so living in harmony with another, I think that goes right with verse 18, where it says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Um, so as Christians, we should not be the ones making a stink about being wronged. Um, and I think largely because we are, as it says in, does it say that? Yeah, as it says right in 16, we are not to be haughty. We are not to be proud. We are not to, be, to view ourselves as important. Um, and we are to take being slighted lightly. You know, what is, it to, what is it to me if somebody slights me? Or at least what should it be to me if somebody slights me? You know, really, what am I? I'm, you know, I could call, I'm dust. They're, like, they can say whatever they want about me. Um, you know, we are but a breath, and then we are gone. Our only purpose is to serve the Lord. And what does another's mistreatment of us do? Really, if you think about it, it provides us with an opportunity to turn the cheek and to show Christ-like behavior. But if we, you know, all, you know, lift up our chest and go, oh, like, how did they say that about me? That doesn't show Christ. That just shows us that we're being like the rest of the world. Um, so as far as... Um, associating with the lowly. Uh, I, gotta, I do have a few sections I want to read about that. Thinking about that entertaining angels unaware again. That, you know, in Christ... Uh, no, I think this is one of the passages. I'll read the passages and I'll talk. 
Matthew 25. Verses 37 through 40 here. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. And then also, back over to James. James uh, chapter 2, right at the beginning. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, you sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinction, distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. <coughs> are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? <coughs> and, you know, in my experience, you can tell a lot about a person and how they treat lower people, <clears throat> people that, that really, that they don't have to go out of their way to, to show any, any kindness that would, you know, at least in our culture's eyes, be beneath them. You can tell a lot, you know, if you meet somebody that's supposedly this important person and they could care less about anybody below them, like, that tells you a lot. But if you meet somebody that's like the owner of some company and he, you know, goes up to all his employees, you know, and, and talks to them, even like the janitor, and, you know, wants to know about his family, and is like, that's, that tells you a lot about a person. Um, and just also, you know, who, who you want to impress. You know, thinking like, if somebody came to church, or even, it doesn't even have to be church, you know, if we're all in a fun some type of function together, and, and uh, Tom Brady, or Aaron Judge, or Donald Trump came here, you know, would we give that person more attention than if, like, a homeless person wandered in? You know, just a rhetorical question. I mean, we're a small group, so maybe we got enough attention to give to both of them. But, <clears throat> but just, I mean, it really, it really does get you thinking. That, like, there's this natural inclination to be like, oh, like, that person's a big shot over there. Like, you know, we should, we should you know, really treat him good because, you know, whatever. You know, but then, you know, when somebody else comes, it's, you know, there's that temptation to be, you know, like, well... You know, yeah, we should be nice to him. And I, I think we do a, a pretty good job of that. But there's not that same, like, I don't know, maybe just natural internal, like, desire to, like, saddle up next to people that are, that are important. And that's, I think that's an evil desire from the world that gets into us. And, you know, he talks right about that right here. Is it really, like, look at it from God's eyes. You know, he has chosen the poor and the downcast. <clears throat> 17... Uh, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And this, uh, this is just like Jesus. You know, not to avenge ourselves or repay evil. That it is not our job to get back at people. Um, and we must always keep in mind that if we lived in a fair world, we would die on the cross. So let us give up the notion of getting back at people and giving them what they deserve. Instead, we are to show the mercy we have been shown. 
Um, and then right with that verse too, uh, our thoughts need to be uh, in doing what is honorable in the sight of all. As Christians, we represent God and we need to think about his name before we act. All right. I'm, in, I'm in super speed mode. We'll get done soon. Um, verse 18. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Um, Let's see. So kind of as we were saying, like really as Christians, we should not be the aggressor. We should try to live peaceably with all. Um, and as you think about like the way the world, like this is true tolerance, you know, to disagree with somebody, but to say, you know, that like, I will still like, I will treat you well. You know, that I wish that you would believe what I believe because I believe you're wrong, but I will still treat you well. That is tolerance. Um, and, you know, our culture is kind of mixed up what tolerance is. They got to the point where you're not allowed to disagree with anybody. If you disagree with somebody, that's intolerance. And we can be intolerant toward intolerance. That's okay. You know, but so they kind of mixed that up. Let's see. And so then, uh, sorry, I actually read one of the, the wrong verse, but we'll keep going. So yeah, we're on 19. Uh, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. That's the one I read last time. Um, <clears throat> so we are better avenged if we leave justice in God's, hand, God's hands. We know that God is fair and just and that he will repay, that it's not for us to worry about. <clears throat> now, there is a caveat to that. Unless it is your role in a godly institution to discipline, on a personal level, we should not avenge. However, God does have institutions that need to provide discipline. For example, parents are supposed to discipline their children. Um, an employer, you know, a laborer deserves his wages and a sluggard doesn't. You know, it's okay for an employer to discipline an employee. Uh, the government has a right to, to punish wrongdoers. The church should discipline members who are intentionally and persistently sinful. Um, in these cases... God has made this institution as a vehicle for his wrath. Um, but that, but these, any of these disciplines should not be carried out in anger. Um, and on a personal level, <clears throat> like I said, our gripes should be left for God to deal with. Last page, I promise. I'm almost done. Uh, verses 20 and 21. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so this idea here, we are not merely called to non-resistance. We are called to active benevolence. Um, and thinking of like this loving of enemies is a thing that the world does not understand. And it's much more powerful and unnerving to have someone you have mistreated act in great love towards you. And now, as, as I was thinking about it, like, I've definitely been on both sides of this. Um, you know, where, like, I'm thinking bad thoughts about somebody because, like, something went down and I guess I, mis I interpreted it in a way that, like, oh, how could they do that? You know, and then they go out and they do something really nice for me. And, like, wow, that's convicting. Um, and... You know, had, had they just acted in a normal way or had they been upset because I had kind of wronged them too, if I'm honest about it, um, you know, I, and if they had been angry at me, like I wouldn't have been humbled and put in my place. And so as I thought about it, I'm like, this is, that's really a great lesson for spouses as a married person. Um, 
is that acting in a way of just constant loving, that even when you feel wrong, you know, acting in, in a loving way is a great way to convict your spouse. Not that, you're, not that you're shooting to convict your spouse. But as a spouse, you know, who's been convicted that way, when I'm like, oh, like, Rachel did this, you know, but then she, then she like, loves on me in a way, like, oh, wow, like, <laughs> here I am thinking something bad about her. And really, you know, she has just been my loving spouse the whole time, and now I feel terrible, and I really need to be a better spouse. Um, so, so, yeah, for wives out there and husbands, Love your spouse, and that will convict them. God will put burning, hole, burning coals on your head. Um, and then, on, so on the flip side, I've also seen, you know, a couple times, and like people have mistreated me, and I, and when God has given me the the grace to to act in a way that just like that is just you know kind and loving towards them, I've seen the gears start to go and be like, wow, that wasn't what I expected. It really, it really does like get people thinking because that's not. The dichotomy of the world. That's not how people react. And when they see somebody act like that, it really begs the question, like, why? How? Like, this isn't, this isn't what I'm used to. Um, and in this way, I do think that a lot of times we can truly overcome evil with good. And this is the way that God does it. You know, Christ exemplified this on the cross. You know, when everyone mistreated him, I mean, they were crucifying, they were spitting him, they were beating him, you know, and everyone wanted him, you know, put on the cross, and they killed him in the most terrible way, and what did Christ do? He just bore it, and not only did he just bear it, he prayed, you know, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, Um, and, you know, that's exactly what we're supposed to be like, and also, I think it's important for us to remember that everyone who doesn't believe in Christ will have God's full vengeance on them. And that's a thought that should be frightening to us. I mean, we shouldn't just be like, all right, like they're going to get it. No, that should be like, I deserve that vengeance too. And, you know, I will pray for them and I will do what I can so that God can reach them and save them because I don't want that for anybody. I mean, that's one thing that when we did Revelation is you're reading through and you're like, wow, like this is bad. Like we don't want that for anybody. So just, you know, for the enemies, um, and those who would, who would treat you um, poorly, like I said, it's not a non-resistance, an active benevolence toward them in a way that, that hopefully the Lord will use to, to reach them, to make them think, to, and to try to be like Christ in that. You know, think of Christ on the cross so that, you know, that he might reach as many as possible so that God's vengeance will be avoided because, like I said, we don't want that for anybody. Um, and that gets me through... Uh, like I said, this is a heavy application section, so a lot, a lot to think about. Um, good section to go back and read at if you're wondering what God's will is for you. You know, you read through that and try to do those things. That'll keep you busy. And so I'll just close in prayer here. Dear Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, um, that your word is, is remarkably clear in many ways, um, that if we want to know what you, what you would have us do, you know, we can... We, we can open up your word and find out, but just give us the, the discernment to understand it and give us, the, give us the strength to do it. Give us your spirit that you would, you would use us as, in as many ways as possible, however you want to use us, um, that you would reach people, you would glorify your name. In Jesus' name, amen.